You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ginny from the Art History Babes. And I'm Zach Clark from National Monument Press. And this is our second episode as part of uh, Zach and I's curatorial project venture together, Virtual Realism, which is an online exhibition as well as a podcast project where we interview and sit uh well not in person sit down but virtually sit down with other curators and creators and talk about the different processes and steps of curating your own show and ways in which you can do it too if you are interested in that and today we are hanging out with our good friend Kristen hello (laughs) Kristen Huff is a painter and educator based in Las Vegas. Uh, And she is one of the co-runners, co-founders of Outback Art House, art project we're going to hear a lot about today, um, and also curates things, does lots of great things. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Before we jump into talking with Kristen, um, we just wanted to, uh, in case you didn't listen to the first episode in the feed about virtual realism, um, we just wanted to remind you, like Jenny said, it's a virtual show, it's an open call. And so um, please submit to the show if you are interested. You can find the information in the show notes, also um, on the Art History Babes website. Yep. Um, and all the information is there, open to all mediums, including writing. You just need to be a patron to apply for the show. Yep. That's it. Exactly. Yep. It's a easy two-step process um, to submit. You just can subscribe on the Art History Babes Patreon if you are not already um, for as little as $1 a month. And then you can submit your artwork through a really straightforward Google form. And all of it's on the Art History Babes website arthistorybabes.com slash virtual realism and all the links are in there including the patreon and the google form and any questions regarding the show um, can be sent you know in a myriad of formats but they can be emailed to arthistorybabes at gmail.com just put virtual realism in the subject line and um, you can also find zach and i on our instagrams um I can be found at the Art History Babes Instagram account or at my own account, which is at under underscore Ginbot. (laughs) 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 That name. I think about that often. Like, why did I pick that? Um, Or Zach at Zach Clark is. Yeah. So 
that's the submission process and we're in the open call phase. And as we get closer, we're hoping to open the show in June and we have the application deadline set for now at April 11th. So there we go. 10. But you know what? <laughs> it can be midnight on the 10th. So it's basically. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's be real. I'm not looking at the form till the 11th. <laughs> true. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, apply. We're excited to see your work. But today, um, for the spirit of education that this podcast is supposed to be, um, mm-hmm. we wanted to bring Kristen Hoffon, who we will inevitably call Keeks for the remainder of this conversation. Yeah. Um, because it's honestly weird to hear you call me Kristen at all. <laughs> I, it's uncomfortable to call you Kristen, not going to lie. And because Kristen has done so much work with artist space, curating, open calls, and just really has done a lot of really interesting stuff in the artist-run space. And so we thought she'd be an interesting voice for folks to hear from. Anybody who has listened to more than one episode of this show knows all of the art history babes went to UC Davis, and I also went to UC Davis, and Keeks also went to UC Davis, and so that is how we know each other. Keeks and I shared a wall for all of grad school. You did. Uh, Go Aggies. (laughs) So enough of us talking. Keeks, uh, tell us about yourself. Well, uh, like you said, I'm a painter. I'm living in Las Vegas now. Um, I've only been here about a year and a half. So pretty much have known Vegas only through COVID, which has been weird, but a very welcoming art city so far. Um, Like Zach mentioned, I got my MFA at UC Davis. I'm from sort of Idaho and California. Um, I started an artist-run project space with some friends in LA in 2018. And we're still doing programming, mostly digital at this point. And I'm also teaching at UNLV this year. What classes are you teaching right now? This semester, just design fundamentals. Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah, 2D design, sort of mixed media stuff. The classic. Classic yeah. class. Can you tell us more about Outback Art House? Perhaps one of my most favorite names of a thing date. (laughs) Well, thank you. You know, the name is commonly, it's called many things. Outback art, like shed. Some people (laughs) call it art. Like, wait, what is it more to sound like a porta potty? Outhouse. Some people call it outhouse. It just, it's, it really takes on a lot of names, but named after the famous Outback Steakhouse, of course, but Outback Art House. I think it was maybe Julian who came up with it. I'm not really sure at this point, but yeah, we started. So Julian Tan, who went to Davis with me and Zach as well, got his MFA there and Katie Holden started the project space in LA. And it was really, you know, we all moved to LA, didn't know that many people were really inspired by the artist-run space scene there. And it was kind of our way to like insert ourselves in the art scene. And it's just been such a tremendous way to meet people anytime I've moved and sort of stay connected to artists. And I mean, I think the best thing Like my advice to young artists, not that I'm not also a young artist, would always be to just create thing that you want to see. And having Outback has been, I think, the most fruitful way for me to like meet other artists and kind of further my community than anything else I've done. So 
it's yeah. been great. Well, and part of the reason it was called Outback is because it was literally in the garage out back behind your house in, La- yes. in LA. Definitely. So it was in, we had a little separate one car garage. That was my studio. So we would have basically pop-up exhibitions where we'd take everything out, paint it white, install a show and have it up for the weekend. And then, you know, move it back as my studio. And then the show in Vegas we did recently was sort of throughout the whole house. So we've never had like official gallery space. It's always been using what we have and, you know, not making the space dependent on making money or selling work, really just a space to, you know, bring people together. We've like at the beginning, we really liked the idea of showing like a local artist with an out of state artist and making connections that way. Um, And in Vegas, it's been a really great way to sort of do studio visits with people. So really just using whatever we kind of have at hand with the rent we're already paying. Right create an art space yeah. for sure I can't afford a gallery space that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> it's hard it's very difficult too real I like the idea too of of using more spaces you already have access to to show art and to like and for viewers too to experience art in different ways outside of just you know the standard gallery or museum exhibition spaces I want to go to an art show once that's a thing again in a weird Victorian house. Like, that'd be great. I'd have a great time. Well, my Vegas art pitch for you would be that a lot of the great art to see here is in casinos. You get, you go to the front, you get a little map and it like tells you where all the pieces are and you kind of do a scavenger hunt around. And I feel like when I went into that, I thought it would be like, oh, I don't know, maybe this is you know, I had some preconceived notions, but it's actually just like you were saying, really cool to see work in a completely different context. And yeah. it really changes, like not just having pure white walls around anything. Right. I, I love it. Totally. Yeah. Come, come to Vegas. We'll take you on a tour. I would love to. knows it better than I do. Yeah. You know what? The, I don't even need to go see the statue of David because I've seen the statue of David <laughs> at Caesar's Palace. Oh, Literally. right. Of course. <laughs> I do think they just took, though, the um, the giant sculpture at the Palms Pool. I think it's a Damien Hirst sculpture. They took it down. Uh-huh. Sad to say. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe something even better will replace it, though, you know? Could, very possible. It's actually just going to be NFTs just floating, <laughs> floating in the sky. There's oh. going to be a little screen just showing the fucking blockchain. <laughs> Perfect. I think that would fit right in, you know? Yeah, you know, because actually it's it's like how the uh, um, progressive slots, the numbers just keep going up. That's just the blockchain code <laughs> or, you know, Steve Wynn's latest NFT acquisition. Yeah, when they're, once they're going to be a cryptocurrency slot machine, you know? <laughs> uh, well, on a more um, <laughs> optimistic view, um, you, you know, so... You have transitioned to the stuff in Vegas. Julian and Katie are still in LA. And so a lot of stuff you've been doing is virtual. You and I uh, curated a just smashing hit of a show (laughs) over the summer called Producing Space. Mm -hmm. Um, You've been doing a lot of other online content. Can you talk about that a little? 
Yeah, well, I would say the show with you was really the first big thing we did, which was in addition to being digital, a male art show, which is very near and dear to my heart. So everyone sent and Zach has a history of doing print exchanges. So that was a really great way to have both like physical work and digital work. And other than that, we also were part of Other Places Art Fair, which is a yearly art fair in LA with a lot of artist run spaces. And this year it was completely digital and they did a really great job of transitioning the sort of like communal walk around booth setting onto a digital platform. So that was fun to be a part of. And then other than that, we've been doing a lot of virtual studio visits, which is really just a set of questions we ask everyone and they show us pictures of their studio And it's mostly just questions that I feel like I would ask any of my friends, like, what are you reading? What should I read? You know, we all are sort of searching for inspiration right now. And so that's been, again, a nice way to like keep in touch with people and see what they're working on and sort of replace the studio visit we would have not through the screen, but right now has to be through the screen. Right. How do you, so a lot of the artists that you've done with your studio visits, I assume a fair amount of them are artists you already know or have, you know, like are friends with or have worked with, but have you found artists in other ways too for that kind of exchange? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, when Outback first started, it was definitely more like friends of friends or someone sort of in our network because it was so new that we didn't really know what we were doing as much. And, you know, you kind of want to keep it in the family a little bit, but As time has gone by, we've really wanted to sort of expand, you know, not just show the same people's work over and over. So we've definitely like reached out to people to get suggestions um, and even just, you know, strangers whose work we admire. We've been trying to sort of do more of that work. Mm -hmm. I reached out to some artists in Vegas just as a way to like, you know, meet people here. And so we've been trying more to make it less based on just like people we know right yeah it's a like I especially think about the value of you know because it's hard to make it's intimidating to make friends to be like hey can we hang out I don't know you I like your paintings (laughs) oh it's so hard yeah but it's but it's seven things where it's like hey I do this thing and I like your paintings can I come look at them um and it's less pressure and it's it, it sets the tone and gives you an entry point into meeting people that um, is less, it's less uncomfortable to invite yourself to hang out at somebody's studio once we're allowed to hang out at people's studios again. Oh, totally. I mean, and even if some of them are just veiled friend courting, you know? Right. <laughs> you got you got the studio visit <laughs> covered up if they don't want to be your friend. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> it's the best part of being a printmaker right now I just like you know this portfolio we just did I just found like 10 people that I want to be friends with mm-hmm. and then roping them in yeah yep. you know we gotta have community right yeah absolutely so you most of the I guess all of the Outback uh stuff that you have y- y'all have done were you curating you you asking artists to do things but then with our wonderful friend, Catherine Spinella up uh, at Carnation Contemporary in Portland, you did an open call show. And 
it was a huge open call show. Could you tell us about um, how that happened, what you learned from it, any sort of fun and not fun parts? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I feel like well, curating with Catherine was just delightful because we all love her here. But curating that show really taught me a lot as an artist about applying to shows too, because mm-hmm. the things that you notice when you're looking at volumes of work are not necessarily the things you think people will notice. So we had we did a show that was based on like text and language in visual arts, and it was called On the Tip of My Tongue. And I think we had like over 300 submissions and so what I think one of my big takeaways about that show was really like editing your work well or your statements well like not having typos and having clean images and all these really boring things that I wouldn't have thought are so important but when you're inviting strangers to be part of a show and you know they need to like get work to the gallery on this day and you know, make sure the work comes like properly wrapped and all this different stuff. It's like those sort of markers of like trustworthiness. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, if all that stuff is like tight, then you can really focus on the work and not have to, you know, you're not like noticing them as much. So that was honestly one of my biggest takeaways of that show. I guess my other big takeaway of curating a show, and again, this is more like from an artist's perspective and not a curator's perspective is, you know, it's something you hear, but when you get rejected from something, it doesn't feel true that a lot of the times the work's selected, it really is just about what like kind of sings together and not about individual pieces because you're thinking like, you know, you want this much like 2D work, you want a video piece, you want a sculpture piece. And if someone, like if that slot is sort of filled, then it's not even necessarily about the work. It's just about how it all kind of fits together right totally no that makes a lot of sense yeah that part is so true of like working on residency programs that I have helped run like really is where I started to learn like oh yeah it all of the work is good but we have two things we can give out um yeah it helps be less sensitive which is like a funny yeah product but I don't know it can be hard to not be to not be sensitive when you're applying to stuff and just like getting rejections whatever but I think once you see the back end you really do realize like yeah like Zach's saying the work is mostly very good Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and that's such an a different process too than from what I'm used to it it just being a gallery curator for shows that are planned out months in advance where it's like you know you're you're really like pre-planning it all from the beginning. Whereas this open call format and what Zach and I have talked about is, and what you just said is like looking at what's submitted and seeing what really comes together and just adds another layer of story or theme onto what we've already kind of loosely established. So that, that in and of itself is different for me too, just from letting the work really do a Mm -hmm. lot of the talking in that way yeah it's I mean it's fun though you kind of yeah I'm into it new people yeah so you've brought up applying for things this is a regular (laughs) I don't want to call it a debate and I actually think it has more to do with our different practices more than anything but you apply to a ton of things I apply to almost nothing (laughs) 
like like Keeks is always at least once a week I get a text message that I need to apply for a show at this library. <laughs> um, Vegas has great library galleries, you know. Yeah. I think no. it'd be good. Well, you also did the Davis Library, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you apply for so many things? How do you keep the optimism to apply for so many things? Like that's hard. <laughs> where do you find things? And not only that, like, what is the value in applying for things? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think, I mean, totally. What you're saying, I think, is an interesting thing to think about. You know, like, in grad school, when I talked to, like, visiting artists or people, like, a little older than us, I feel like you would get completely different answers. And some people are, like, never apply to shows. And I don't know if that felt, like, sometimes pretentious to me or... I don't know. It was like advice. I feel like for people who already were showing their work and knew a lot of people and it's sort of like a luxury to not apply to show or it's like waiting for something to happen. And so that was just hard for me because I felt like before grad school, my like artist community was relatively small. So definitely there've been times when I've applied to a lot. I think it's gotten, you know, I've gotten more selective as time goes on. And I think that's sort of what's helped my success rate applying is applying to things that are actually like more that feel more appropriate for the work I'm making or you know really researching like the space and just thinking about what actually makes sense sorry there's Marshall crying to go for his walk oh I didn't um it's okay Marshall it's giving me those sad eyes but (laughs) It's hard to apply to a lot of shows because for all the reasons we just mentioned, a lot of times you do get rejected. I mean, similarly for residencies, I find that, you know, I've worked a lot of freelance jobs. Definitely when I'm between jobs, I apply to a lot more stuff than when I'm really busy, which I'm sure is just true of so many things for everybody. But I don't know. I've found really great things applying to shows occasionally and a lot of rejection. But like we were just talking about with your guys' show, I mean, I think there's some websites that just post open calls. Like I looked at Arts for LA a lot when I was in LA. You know, California Arts Council has an opportunity page. I guess all of mine are very California specific that I just listed, but I basically just look at the calls that I feel like everyone else looks for. Um, I guess more and more you find calls like on Instagram. Right. Too. Right, right. And even sometimes now I just research cities I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. I had a show last year at Holland Project Gallery, which was an open call. They're just delightful people. And so that was a really awesome thing to be a part of. And then now I'm curating a show f- with them. And so this, the curatorial part wasn't from an open call, but it resulted from that initial action. So I guess I found it to be very fruitful at times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's just like that practice of getting in the habit of it and, you know, thinking of different places to visit and like different sites to consult and just really like making a conscious effort to like hustle and look, which can be very difficult sometimes. But the more you like look and think kind of outside of what your usual box may be as far as opportunities go, the better in the long run. 
Yeah. yeah. And definitely there are times when I just have many months where I don't apply for anything sure. because I'm just sure. exhausted or, you know, whatever, but I don't yeah. know. A lot of my, a lot of my hesitation for applying for things often is the fees associated with applying for things. Um, because, you know, we've all only got so much money. And if you're applying for a bunch of things that are 25 bucks a pop here and there, um, that all really starts to add up, um, mm-hmm. which was a real sticking point for me for a while. But I think that I, I've begun to have a change of heart quite a bit on, on that similar to what you had said keeks of like really applying for the things that make sense for your work mm-hmm. i think similarly i like applying for places that you believe in and so like you know there was a residency application like you know a couple weeks ago that i applied for that i was like i'm not the right fit there i know I'm, my project probably isn't the right project but this is also a space i want to exist so like it's also worth throwing them the 20 bucks like and put my hat in the ring, but I know that the money I'm sending is helping to keep this residency that I really think is cool um, afloat. Um, and so really starting to think a lot more about like the places I'm applying are not only places I want to show, but I want to keep existing that I'm paying fees for. Totally. And I think, I mean, fees are complicated for sure. I feel like a lot of the places I've been applying to in the past few years have really like defunded the application a little bit and it's you know like five to fifteen dollars or something that feels more like it's actually going towards running something I think jumping off of what you said I've found a lot more success applying to like smaller spaces instead of you know nothing against like an Instagram account that shows like hundreds of artists a week but I feel like you know my work is maybe like not right for that venue or for like like it's not super graphic and like flashy immediately and so I found when I applied for that sort of thing I rarely got traction and that felt kind of more like a waste of money but like what you're saying applying to smaller places that you really can see where the money goes it doesn't like takes the sting out of it a little for sure yeah totally I mean, because at that point too, it's like, because we've been really mindful about that in, in this show and we're thinking of different ways to have an element of an application fee, but we also didn't want to bar anyone or make it feel like inaccessible. And, and we have the pretty good system set up from the art history babes where we have our Patreon where it's like, you know, there are levels there and people can choose different levels. And like on Patreon, you see like the extra content that's there. So it's like a more like, okay, like this is where the money's going to, it's going into making this kind of content and, and there are people visibly doing it. <laughs> so hopefully that feels more doable. For yeah. Me. I mean, with the sliding scale aspect, I feel like if you can apply for as little as a dollar, like that doesn't yeah. feel like you're trying to, you know, gouge anyone. Right, right. <laughs> but it does take time and money to, you know, run all these things. So I think that's something you also see on the other end. Like, yeah, even though we always did shows like out of my garage, like, man, that white paint, it adds up. It's not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man yeah well and even like online stuff you know you got to pay the domain fee every single month mm-hmm, like yeah. there there is overhead for anything that has 
you have autonomy over. Yeah, no uh, doubt. Yeah. And I think the secret to, you know, cause like we talk about this a lot, like most artists are just like wanting to form community and relationships and experiences. And, and so even if do, things do, you know, you got to pay your $12 a month for your server or whatever, like, does that, like that is having a space where a community of people are coming together to look at a thing. And so, you know, sometimes it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to make work in a vacuum. And so often fellow artists or historians are the people who are going to give you the like most, I don't know, honest and time intensive feedback. And it's so hard to make work without that. So, I mean, I have certainly relied on both of you to look at things. In fact, I'm going to need you to help me workshop a title later. (laughs) 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 Really struggling. But yeah, I think it's so important. And you know, any money we've put into Outback feels like we've gotten tenfold back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. That being said, our domain name was from a generous contribution by Keel. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, nice boy. Nice boy. <laughs> <laughs> embarrassing to say on the record no (laughs) i am all about financial transparency yeah totally Um, because we all are making things work in convoluted ways yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no doubt so we're scrappy out here you know but making it work you know in the shadow of the stratosphere (laughs) (laughs) which i can see from my backyard now exactly Oh, cool. Yeah, a delightful change. (laughs) Any final thoughts or opinions about online show, taking control of showing and sharing work, anything unrelated at all? Um, I guess I've been surprised, you know, we're all so jaded by like Zoom now and all of that, but I've been surprised how with like virtual studio visits, which I have a bunch coming up this week, I'm really excited for, they actually do like feed you and are exciting in a way that, I don't know, I'm pretty like shy and introspective at the end of the day. And so I feel like I often I'm like, ah, don't do it. But then when you actually do it, it, you know, they can be so rewarding. So to me, like, it's just been really worth trying to put myself out there and like meet people and do studio visits, even if it's digital, which often feels harder for me than in person. I think for some people, it's the opposite. But yeah, curating has always been really rewarding to me. I have a show, like I mentioned, in Reno coming up that I'm curating with Hasler Gomez, which is an artist up there. So keep an eye out for that, I guess. Very excited about the artists we're working with but yeah nothing nothing specific once you got any more questions lay them on me oh you're you're a font of knowledge and (laughs) there's a lot of why we wanted to talk to you early on in our process too just because you you have your your finger on the pulse of online curation and just kind of independent artsy scrappiness in general that's you well, thank you. Me and I've always had many collaborators, which I'm very thankful. Collaborators for. help so much. Oh my gosh, yeah. We all have very, you know, different skill sets. So it's been really 
definitely very helpful to always work with people. You know, part of doing the online show with Zach is like, I just am so bad at like Illustrator. So things like the catalog were, you know, all Zach. I think that's a big part of it. Like finding people who are also excited about what you want to do or sort of pitching ideas. And then, you know, part of the um, gratification of the show is also like the process of putting it together. Like I'm sure- all the dialogue you two have had leading up to this has been, you know, sort of like triggers a bunch of thoughts about other parts of your practice or like career path other than just this specific show. So yeah, I don't know. Just yeah. all the combos. Right. I know. I know. Cause we used to be in an environment where that was practically constant and really easy to access and I think all of us have missed that since coming out of grad school and missed it even Mm -hmm. probably more just being so isolated (laughs) this past year (laughs) so just having conversations with friends about art and other artists is really very like a satisfying Mm -hmm. thing to partake in that I missed oh man I've been very grateful for our weird our weird zooms, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Myriad Seeker shout out. I admitted to uh, playing D and D in my la- in the class I was teaching on Thursday night, and you know it, it, it's a Zoom class, so everyone is on silent. And when I said that, like the entire room all like did like the like double take, staring in the camera, <laughs> and, like bug eyed, and I was like y'all you're watching me like make rezo prints on the internet you all would love dungeons and dragons and then everyone started to confess that they really would like to play but they don't know anyone else who plays dnd so i was like rezo dnd group wow man you've spawned a whole uh, set of trying to remember all the classes now dnd i will say as i'm saying how gratifying digital community community. <laughs> I was in Zach's D&D group and I could not get it digitally. I just wanted to roll those dice in sure. my paw and I yeah. could not and it made me really sad but yeah that's that's one I want to play in person with y'all's. Yeah. Fair. 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 Mm-hmm. I still haven't played it but I, I've We're been. Gonna, We're gonna get you in there. Great times. Find, Great times. find me uh, to talk about D&D. Uh, you know. <laughs> Any, uh, you know fantasy D&D artists apply to apply to um, wow I really just spaced on the virtual realism yeah. <laughs> Why not? You know, I forgot the name of your show for a second <laughs> it's okay honestly most people listening to this have probably forgotten the name of the show yep virtual realism virtual, virtual realism apply now Apply now. Dungeon Masters, bring out those sketches. They're ready to see them. (laughs) Yes, yes. We'll link the page for applications in the show notes. It's also all over Instagram. And we'll also link a page to Outback Art House. So you can check out what Kristen and Julian and Katie are doing over there. It's uh, very cool stuff. Oh, thank you. Kristen, how do people find you on the internet? Mm, yes. So Outback is at outbackarthouse.com. Our Instagram is also Outback Art House. I'm on Instagram, just my name, Kristen Huff. My website, kristenhuff.com. We're very creative with our platform names here. 
Uh, yeah, my email, Kristen Huff at Gmail, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and just so everyone knows, it's H-O-U-G-H. Yeah. Oh, yes. Like rough and tough, not dough. Zach was happy. I mean, that sounds mean. Was happy. Of course, you know how to pronounce my last name, but sometimes you get surprised that it still comes out wrong. <laughs> uh, I know a certain faculty member that we once had that still to this day calls you Kristen Ho. Oh, man. Yep. Oh, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's okay. I've, I've accepted it, but yeah, you got it. Rough and tough. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kristen, thank you so much for chatting with us and uh, sharing your, your knowledge. Thanks for having me. Always love to talk to, to you two gems. <laughs> You're a gem. That concludes our second episode on virtual realism uh, with our guest and pal, Kristen. And thank you all for joining and hope that you will be able to submit your artwork to virtual realism. Thanks, y'all. Goodbye. Goodbye. How do you not say um and like? Oh, don't worry. You all, everyone says it a lot. It's the second it's on a, a thing, you you just it like zings at you every time you do it. <laughs>